Amen. How you guys doing? Everybody's doing good? I pray the Holy Spirit warms this place up supernaturally, about 15 degrees. We'll take 20. That'll be a sign and a wonder in Jesus' name. Um, you guys can turn 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look at a few passages, really two passages today of Scripture, one here and one in 1 Thessalonians. Um, I want to encourage you with the fact that we need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit pretty bad. If you think that you're going to get something this morning new, something cutting edge and sharp, you know, the trailer for which is coming out in Christmas of 2010, you're wrong. (laughs) I got nothing new to give you. I need the Holy Spirit. There's no new amazing revelation that I'm going to share with you that you probably have never heard before. Matter of fact, this is pretty basic stuff. I need the Holy Spirit to make this stuff alive in my life. Right? Anybody, listen, anybody, how many of you guys are married to have kids? Right? This message that I'm going to share today is the first message I preached in a homiletics class in ministry school about 10 years ago. Maybe a little bit more than 10 years ago now. And uh, it's funny how things go full circle. You can't get the seed of God out of your heart. It just grows. But anybody who's married understands... If you think you've arrived, get married, and you'll be reminded by your spouse and your kids on a daily basis that you have far from arrived, right? When we were in ministry school, and I saw, I see some friendly, you know, familiar faces over here who went to school with us, you know, in, in the midst of revival, I was, we were, for the most part, seriously convinced that in a matter of uh, just a few years, the 1040 window would be evangelized, saved and discipled. <laughs> I mean, we really believed that with all of our hearts. And we, there you go. We believed it. Because we knew God was a good God. We knew this was God's plan. This is, we didn't just come up with the Great Commission in our hearts. This is God's plan. This is God's will. God, God doesn't desire that any should perish and go to hell. God's heart pumps love. He bled love on the cross. And we knew that and we understood the power of the gospel. We understood the dynamic of revival. Right? We understood those things. But you get married and you have kids and you see, you, you know what you see? You see yourself. Right? Who, who, we just talked, I talked to somebody about that the other day. You see yourself and your kids. Right? You see them and God has to bring something in your life to show you a mirror image of you. To make you all the more dependent on him to change you. Right? That's what happens. It's all these single revolutionaries out there in the world. Get married, have some kids. Find out how revolutionary you are. Right? And I remember when I was in ministry school, this, that, you know, we had homiletics class. And at the end of homiletics class, everybody had to preach a message. And this was my message. My message was 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. It's all about the cross and Pentecost. And speaking of Pentecost, in a few short days here, by God's grace, Danielle's going to give birth to our fourth, our third son, Elias Pentecost Papavisi. And that is not a joke. That is his name. <laughs> Ep. Right? Ep. There you go. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, 
I'm grateful just for, for this body here because you have, uh, you have a heart for the world. Listen, I'll be the first to admit we are far from perfect, right? Once again, you know, anybody who, who's in fellowship with himself, right? You ever, you, you met people like that before? You know, what do you fellowship? I submit to God. Off the bat, red flags just started flying everywhere. You know, you know, what do you fellowship? You know, who speaks into your life? Uh, I submit to the Holy Spirit. Only to the Holy Spirit. That pretty much means that you, you are rebellious, self-centered, selfish, unsubmissive in every way. You might be saved. I'll, I'll even add that. You might be saved. Right? Any, anybody understands that in the kingdom? Listen, I know myself and the body that I'm part of, we're far from perfect. But I understand one thing about God. He deals with people that are far from perfect. But he is perfect. And, and the more we draw near to him, the more we become like him. That's the call to the church. Right? It's not a complicated thing. It's draw near to Jesus. He'll draw near to you. He'll change your life. He'll change your heart. He'll change your mind. He'll, he'll turn around impossible situations and make them possible. Like Brother JC shared a few weeks ago, it was encouraging. He said, let me liberate you guys. You guys are all a bunch of losers. Look at the facts. Look at the setting that you're living in. You're living in a city of seven plus million people right around there. Right? Most of the people liberal. This is not the religious south. Right? I mean, walk down the street. Has anybody ever gone street evangelizing before? If you have a problem with rejection, come out with me. Right? It's going to happen. It's not a science. It's not a gimmick. We're not selling cars. We're trying to present people Jesus Christ. Live and in action. The real Jesus. The gospel is an encounter with Jesus Christ. Not a membership at a church. I want to fall in love with Jesus. I want to... Listen, we need to be set free from our sins and fall in love with Jesus. You got a problem loving Jesus, you're not going to like heaven. All of heaven surrounds, and I'm sorry, the throne's at the very center, and, and all that surrounds the activities of heaven is the worship of the one on the throne. And that is satisfying. God is satisfying. How do you think those elders can fall on their faces on a consistent basis and constantly give God praise and glory for who He is? They can't stop themselves. They're not doing it because of impulse of condemnation because they don't want to lose their place. It's because they've seen something in God's face that most of us have never seen. His beauty, his his amazing wonder and love. It compels a man. It compels us to worship. When we experience the joy of the Holy Ghost within, what do you think compels men to face death in so many parts of the world with smiles on their faces, never, never, never once thinking twice about denying their Lord? What do you think it is in the Roman Colosseums a couple thousand years ago that whole families would be eaten by beasts? What do you think makes people sign, on on, sign off on something like that? It's the love of Jesus Christ. It's, what, it's what's going to keep us. Like a good friend of mine says all the time, listen, the cross of Jesus will protect you from who you are and line you up with who you're called to be. And, 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 and the failure of the American church is that we, listen, we recognize doctrinally it's the cross and it gives birth to resurrection and Pentecost. Pentecost is God's presence. Listen, we're not some kind of sadomasochists. We, we, we don't have a fascination with death for the sake of death. Right? The Shiites in, in, in Lebanon made a statement after the, 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 the bombing in Beirut. And they said, listen to you guys in the West. Do you know why we win and you lose? Because we love death more than you love life. I don't love death for the sake of death. Maybe they do. I don't think there's glory in death and that's the final. 
Because death was not the final thing for Jesus. But it just so happens there's a process in the kingdom of God that we cannot sidestep. Right? And, 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 and the Western church, we've learned and we've mastered how to sidestep the cross. And as a result, now we have to manufacture the presence of God. Or we got to manufacture it. Right? Like St. Augustine said, he, he made a famous statement. He said, listen, I've learned how to stop seeking for that without, which always dwelt within. He learned, he learned how to get past the frustrations and, and the hardships and the, and the grind of what so many people call walking with Jesus in discipleship. And he found the joy in the reservoir of the rivers of God that abide within by the Holy Spirit. He learned how to fellowship with the God who was within. Instead of going to the bookstore and trying to find out the book with all the right answers for your problem. And we come to church on a consistent basis hoping the preacher is going to give us all the right answers to our problem. Or maybe he'll give me a prophetic word. What do you think the prophetic word is going to reveal? Your problem. That, that's all it's going to reveal. And it's going to point you back to the same thing prophets of old have been pointing towards for generations. That is Jesus Christ, the burden bearer. It's Jesus. There's no way around it. Jesus changes lives. Right? So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And this is Paul talking to the Corinthians after he had established the local congregation over there. He says, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Listen, there's two things in utter contradiction both in this setting and in the setting in your life right now, as a white, Hispanic, black, Asian, whatever ethnicity you come from, whatever culture or, up or, or, or background you have, we are all in the same context. There are two wisdoms that are in utter contradiction with each other. There is the wisdom and ways of God, and there is the wisdom and the ways of this world. And both wisdoms are based on a value system. It's a way of doing life. It's a way of determining what's important and what's not important. It's a way of determining what's worth my emotions, what's worth my time, what's worth my resources, what's worth my life. Right? So it's, it's a way that we gauge what we should give ourselves for, what direction we'll live in, right? What standard we live by. And Paul's saying, he's making that evident to them. And it's the same thing for us today. There are two ways of doing life in utter contradiction with one another. And you can find both of them in the church. Right? Do you know why? Because when we get born again, we bring that value system with us from the world, from our past, into our relationship with God. And then we find it very hard and burdensome to walk with Jesus. And we go through counseling sessions and we read books and we ask that hands would be laid upon us and that the, that, that the wisdom of this world would be cast out. But you can't cast out a value system. Right? Like T.L. Osborne used to say, you can't cast out sin, you have to overcome sin. Right? You can't cast that out. I cast out lying right now. I'm never going to lie again for the rest of my life. No, I need to stop lying. That's what I need to do, right? I need to repent. 
recognize the fact that lying is a sin, and by the grace and strength of God, stop lying. Well, you're not going to cast that out. Yes, I believe certain things do get cast out. And yes, I believe demons are the ones who manipulate men's minds. But ultimately, we have followed a way of doing things, right? A system and a wisdom from this world that is natural. And we have brought it into our relationships with God. And then we often question, all of us question, why are we not experiencing more of God's power in our life? Because ultimately the validation of God is is resurrection and Pentecost. Listen, everybody's got an ideology in the world. Everybody believes something. Like like I just mentioned T.R. Osborne. He went to India years ago with his wife for two years and saw almost no fruit, minimal fruit. Even in the midst of of a culture that is hungry for God. They're so hungry for God that they have millions of them. They just want something so bad to worship. They have mil- even even within a setting of of di- of a disease riddled poverty riddled religious hungry society, he had problems because he showed up with his book and he says, "Listen, I'm going to share with you the way of life, the way to God, the purpose for which you exist." And they said, "Show us. We want to hear it. We're we want it." And so he opened up the book and he started reading off. And they said, "Well, that's not the right book. We have our own book." The Muslims, they, they, they brought out the Quran. The Hindus brought out, you know, the, the Hindu scriptures. Everybody brought out what their God said. They said, well, this is the way. And he recognized in that moment, if what I have is not working for me, how in the world do I expect this thing to work for somebody else? Right? If what I have has not changed my life, how in the world do I expect this thing to change anybody else's life? And he came back to the States in search of the real thing, right? We graduated ministry school and we were convinced we are going to come back, right? I mean, in our early 20s and tell every pastor in America what they were doing wrong and what they need to do right. We, most, most of us, that's how we were. Well, if, they're gonna, if they hear the Lord, they're going to let us into their pulpits. If they're rebellious and they don't love the Lord... They're not going to let us into their pulpits. I mean, wasn't that, way, wasn't that the way it was? I mean, we, we got the answers to revival. We've been there. We have the answers to revival. We know the way it works. Listen, we've been around the world now in a few places, and you know what we've seen? The same thing we see right here. They're the same. Just, they're just like you, but different. But they're just like you. They eat, they eat different food. They listen to different music. They have different culture. They might look a little different, but they're just like you. We were in Egypt this summer, and we ran to the church full of fear. God bless them. We bless them. I pray God give them boldness and confidence and fire. Full of fear. The same, the same stuff we deal with in the West, they deal with over there. What do you think? They're, they're different for some reason? Because they get born again from a Muslim background? Do you think all of a sudden there's something different than you? They wake up and feel the same feelings you feel. Full of fear. We go to the church in Romania. What do we find? Religion everywhere. Yes, there's pockets of God doing things. I don't want to paint a negative picture. But in general, at least where we were going, the churches we were working with, full of religion, hair-splitting doctrines, cutting off fellowship with brothers, because they, they disagree about the most minute details in the Word. And they can't get over it. And, and, and church growth is church transfership. That's the way church growth works over there. 
They left their church. We're in revival because we got more people from their church to come to our church. And it's all about, you know, is your cuff the right length? Is your tie an inch too low? You know, is your haircut a little bit too long? It's all based on externals. Do we have religion in the West? Listen, the same things that we're dealing with, the rest of the world is dealing with. That's what Peter said. The same things you're going through, don't feel like you're the only one. Nobody knows what I'm feeling. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody, listen, we've all been in situations in our lives, in times of testing, in the dark nights of the soul, in temptation, where you swear you're the only one who's ever felt like that. Nobody's ever been tempted like me. Nobody's ever slandered. Nobody's ever been slandered like me. Oh my goodness, if they, if they would have known, if Paul would have just be able to experience the way I've been hurt, then he'd understand and write a little bit differently about rejoicing always. If he only understood, you know, he was a single man. He wasn't married like me. You know, he doesn't know the way my kids are. You know what I mean? I, we, we all think, we all think that we're like the first one to come up with this, with, with the revelation. Like, like we stepped on into the kingdom and now all of a sudden something's happening to you and God's telling you something that he's never said before to anybody else. Right? And you feeling pressure unlike anybody else. Listen, welcome to the Christian life. This has been going on for a while now. And the same things you're going through, the same devil you gotta fight, right? The same, the same people you, you're learning to love by the grace of God. The same scriptures you read and feel like you don't get them, right? The same, the same, the same time that you gotta wake up in the morning and drink coffee and wash your face with cold water so you won't fall asleep during devotions. People have been through this and people go through this all around the world even as we speak. Don't think you're something special or unique. We're all in this together. There's no, listen, there's no, there's no other way. There's no hidden, you know, there's no hidden equation. Jesus Christ and His presence is what changes men's lives. And that's what He's saying here. He's saying, listen, there's two wisdoms in utter contradiction to themselves. And He says, I refuse to pollute the gospel I preach. With what you want to hear, to tickle your ears. With what you're used to. Because he knows what works. And I've made up my own mind, right? After, after some years now walking with Jesus, and I'm, I'm by, listen, I'm the first to admit I have not arrived. Nor do I believe I'll arrive anytime soon. But I promise you one thing, I'm not where I used to be, and I'm on the move. In Jesus' name. And I don't say that with, with arrogance, I say that by all humility. I'm not gonna lie to you and say otherwise. In Jesus' name. Because that's the case. That's the way it needs to work in the kingdom of God. But I've made up my mind, you know what? If I cannot demonstrate and, and, and show forth and exemplify by my life who God is in a man, then listen, I, I'm not interested in the debates. The debates and what you think. You know, I, I, something, we hear sometimes these guys, you know, the Hogans come around and these guys who've been out there for years toiling and they're far from perfect men. But you know what comes out in this speech? Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody thinks they know what's right. You know, and anybody, listen, if, if, if you were to be asked and, and, and be given a poll of what needs to be fixed, right? What needs to be fixed in your family, at your job, in your life, in politics in Chicago, and in the world? What is it? You know, we just, just tell us. Just tell us what it is. We just need to know what it is. Tell us. You know, everybody would be like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm glad somebody finally noticed. Somebody finally noticed that I have the answers. 
And that if they would just listen to what I had to say and my points and the way I expound them, the world would no longer have wars. All wars would cease. Israel and the Middle East would get along. If they would just listen to all of my good ideas, the revelations I've been getting in, in prayer are amazing. If you would just listen to them for a moment, I'm telling you, revival will hit Chicago in a week. Really? Why does your life look so pathetic then? I mean, it's, listen, that's what these guys are saying when they come over here. And you hear, you hear them sometimes, even in their frustration. Guys like Hogan and these guys. I made up my mind. God's call to me is to be a spirit-filled man, period. Let everything else flow out of that. That's God's call to me, not to be a great platform preacher, not to be the greatest evangelist that ever was, not to be the greatest anything that ever was. I need to be a man filled by the Spirit of God, and there's only one way to get there. And the first way is to repent of the wisdom of the world. The first way is to stop doing things the same way, expecting different results. Right? Figure it out through discernment. Common sense comes to you through creation. Right? Common sense. We need to, we need to use it sometime. You need to recognize sometime, man, you know what? This is not working. This doesn't work for some reason. Me cutting people off in traffic and almost causing accidents on a consistent basis makes them want to give me the bird. I don't know why, but it happens every time. We'll figure it out. Don't do it anymore. Right? Sometimes we just need to use common sense. You're praying for revelation. God, tell me why I get so agitated in traffic. Because you're constantly cutting people off and getting swore at. That's why. Right? There's some, some things, there's nothing to pray about. If, if it's not working, right? If it's in line with the wisdom of this world, stop doing it. God is not going to bless it. God will not bless it. You can pray to you right in the face, blue in the face. God will not bless the wisdom of the world. The demonstration of who Jesus is does not get revealed through applying the wisdom of the world to your heart. All it does is cause frustration and sin. The devil will rob you and leave you without joy. You want to test of how much of the Spirit of God you got in your life? How much joy and peace do you have in your life? Because according to Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, right? A a way of doing things. It's not a matter of you coming to church and singing a song. That's not the kingdom of God, right? It's not a matter of you even doing a devotion in in, in the Word. That's not what reveals the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is tangible and real. And it's a matter of peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Right? That's where it's at. Look at verse 2. He says, when I came to you, I'm sorry, look at verse 1 again. I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Because ultimately, that is what he proclaimed. He testified of what he saw and experienced in God. That's what a testimony is. Right? All of you guys got testimonies if you're born again. Every single one of you have a testimony. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, the the word of our testimony, and that we do not love our lives unto death. And in the Old Testament, it's peppered with, don't forget the God of wonders and what he's done for you. The devil causes us to forget where we came from, what God's done for us, how he's spoken to us in the past. That we would turn against God and make make him our enemy. That, that, that our judgment will be perverted against him. You got the disciples in the boat in the midst of a storm. And they wake Jesus up from a sound sleep. And they tell him, don't you care that we're perishing? I know none of us have ever accused God through prayer, whether consciously or subconsciously, right? That was only the disciples. 
Don't you care? I mean, God, don't you notice the situation I'm in? Have you seen my checking account? You know? I mean, God, don't you see the way my boss is treating me at work? Don't you see that? Don't you notice the fact that my family members are not saved? Did you not notice that? That they're dying right now and going to hell? Listen, do you think that God is a moron? Do you think he's unintelligent? Do you think that you value things more than he values things? I think he knows very well what's going on. Just like when he was on a boat, he knew everything was going to be okay. That's why he could sleep. That's why he can rest. Do you know why he can rest? Because you know what he, do you remember what he was doing right before he got into the boat? You know, he was in the mountain praying, in the mountaintop praying. He was praying when other people were sleeping. That's why he could sleep when other people are praying. Right? Because when everybody else is going around dilly-dallying, he's, he's, he's spending time with the Father. He's got peace. He knows who he is. He knows God's with him. Right? He understands that. And what do they accuse God? They accuse God of not caring. You don't care about my situation. You don't care about the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm nearing 30. I'm still not married. You don't, you don't care about this. You don't care about that. No, no, no. God cares very much so. Very much so. He cares more than you care. He came, he came up with you, by the way. If you just thought that you, you, you're here by a, by a direct byproduct of your parents. No. You were born in the, in the heart of God a long time ago. God knows very well the way you're inclined to think. God knows very well the things that you, that you uh, fall into time and time again. He, he sees your pattern. He understands your history. He understands the way you're formed and shaped. He understands you more than you understand yourself. And when he woke up from sound sleep and he rebuked the storm, do you know what he asked them? Why don't you believe? That's the issue. Why don't you believe? Paul came to proclaim the testimony of God. The only thing he can give the Corinthians is what he can testify to himself. I was just sharing with, with Brother Jeff yesterday. You know, this summer was, was an awesome time for me and the family. And we're grateful for all you guys just for your prayers and your support. It was a real time of growth in our own lives, just in ministry and as a family. And if there's one thing I can come back and say that God taught me through the whole thing is a couple things. And this is one of them. Right here. You better get something from God. Right? We saw some people get here. We saw some miracles, instant miracles. We saw some people get saved. But you know what we saw? A sea of people in different cultures, in different settings, different economic levels that are desperate for an encounter with God. And nothing else will meet their need but an encounter with God. Nothing else but the demonstration of Jesus Christ will meet their need. Nothing else. So that causes a man like me want to shave everything else off. Because if we recognize that nothing else works, why keep trying to use it? It doesn't work. Right? And the other thing that God really, really... Uh, reconfirmed in our hearts was the necessity of humility and dependence on God. Man, you go out there in the mission field, anybody who's been out there, I tell you, Pastor Steve's been out there, talked to a lot of ministers, you know, missionaries. Man, everybody thinks they got the answer. Everybody. Well, if they would just follow our strategy, we got strategies. What's your strategy? Go to Saudi Arabia and try your strategy. You know, we got strategies. 
We have this strategy, and it's going to be followed by this strategy. I only find one strategy in the scriptures. It's called waiting on God, letting him speak and give you one. Then you obey without fear in faith. That's the only strategy I know for everything, for overcoming sin, for walking in love, right? For, 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 for godly fellowship in the community, for winning the lost, for healing the sick. There's only one strategy. What, what other strategy is there? Everybody's got strategies. We got this strategy. We're going to just brainstorm. Brainstorm on what? What are you going to brainstorm on? What are you going to try to figure out? You want to try to figure out the thousand things that don't work? I'll tell you what works. And it ain't, listen, I tell you what works by a testimony because I know for a fact from experience what works. And I'm far from arrived, but I'm, I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep doing what works so I would get more of the results of what works. But it's dependency, humility. You know what? You want my honest-to-God answer? I don't know. That is my honest-to-God answer. You know why we elected the president we have? Because he knows everything. That's why. We want somebody to tell us everything because he knows it all. So we go right to the guru. You know, rub the genie. Tell me everything. I don't know. But I do know one thing. If you go to Jesus, he knows. I know that for a fact. I know a lot of things that don't work. I'll tell you a lot of things that if you put your hand to that thing, it's not going to work. It's going to make you frustrated. I know one thing that works. The testimony of God changes lives. Look at verse 2. He says, I determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's a holy resolve. There's a holy determination that needs to give birth in our hearts if you expect something else to change. Right? Like I was just telling the Bible school students. And, and, and they can attest themselves, man, God's, God's been doing a work in their lives. Even over these last two and a half months, whatever it's been, man, they're growing by leaps and bounds. Listen, don't, 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 don't think nothing's happening. From our own midst, God is raising up radicals to send all over the world. And for those who stay here, they're just as radical. Just as radical. For the housewife who loves Jesus and ministers the gospel to her neighbors, just as radical. But listen, God's doing the work. And I just shared this with him the other day. I said, listen, you know, it's funny. How, you know, let's say you spend an hour with God a day. You spend an hour with God a day. You sow the word of God into your heart and into your imagination, right? You meditate on that. And then for the remaining 16, 17 hours, you sow just nothing but discouragement, lies, and everything else into your heart. And you're wondering why, why you're having problems. Well, why am I having problems with my thought life? Why am I having problems with my mouth? You know, why am I having problems with this? How come I'm not seeing fruit? Listen, do you think... That you could, listen, what are you sowing into your heart on a consistent basis? What are you meditating on? The direction of your life is in line with your meditation. What do you think about on a consistent basis? Sitting there daydreaming in your car about what somebody said about you. Or what's the newest movie that came out? Who cares? Who cares about that stuff? I mean, real talk. Do you know why these professional athletes are in in our professional athletes right now are making a whole lot more money than you. Do you know why? Because some of these guys who play ball, they know why. Because while they were playing ball, you were not playing ball. That's pretty much why. Right? That's why. Do you know why some people are filled by the Spirit of God and walk in divine love and power? You want, let me, let, give me why. There's a revelation. An angel appeared. No. Because while you were doing everything else under the sun, they were on their knees waiting on Jesus. And when they walked away, when they said amen, it wasn't over with. Right? They learned how to abide in the presence of God. We don't cut off the presence of God when you give the amen. Amen, now it's over. Right? No, we walk with Jesus. There has to be a holy resolve. I don't want to know nothing else. I don't want to know nothing else. 
God, simplify my life. Remove the distractions. Remove, remove things in my life, in my heart that I know for a fact. Always bring me back to the same place of self-consciousness where I lose my consciousness of God, my awareness of his presence in, my, in, in the midst. If anything ever becomes bigger or greater in your consciousness than God's presence, you have already stepped out of faith into fear. You've already stepped out of peace. No matter what it is, you, can, you cannot afford to get outside of the consciousness of God. The awareness of God's presence in your life. And listen, it doesn't matter who you are. You don't get born again. Okay, you don't get born again. And now you are transferred into 24-hour-a-day God consciousness. That's not what happens. You get born again and your heart is changed. Now you have to apply the cross to your life. Listen to the next verse. Look at verse 2. He says, I didn't want to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to I want to know the experience of God on a cross. You know, listen, Paul was not a pessimist. This is not pessimistic preaching. I don't know why you not you, but we in the West can hear straight cross talk and everybody's getting condemned. I'm condemned. I'm condemned. They're condemning me. Why are you condemned? The cross is a gift from God. He says, listen, if you're heavy burdened, right, if you're, if you're weary and heavy burdened in Matthew 11, or Matthew is in Matthew 10, Matthew 11, he says, come to me. He says, take my yoke upon you, I'll give you rest. Listen, his, his yoke, what's his yoke? What is a yoke? A yoke is something a man wears. A man wears, an animal wears. But nonetheless, it's something that's on them. What, what is Jesus known for wearing? The cross. What does he invite us to put on? It's the cross. The cross is not negative. The cross is God's gift to you. The cross protects you from failure. The cross protects you from sin. The cross protects you from being pimped by the devil. Right? Because a prostitute is in fear of her pimp, but she receives some kind of affirmation from the sex, from, from her intimacy with him and a slap on the face. Right? And that's why afterwards, even if you liberate her, she'll find another one. The cross is your friend, not your enemy. I don't know why Christians in the West want to run from the cross. The cross is the best thing that could have ever happened to you. The cross opens up to you the resources of heaven. The cross is God's key that unlocks his heart. That you can dine with him. We should be running to the cross. What does the cross look like practically in your life? Look at verse 3. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. This is a man who has most likely the Old Testament scriptures memorized at least huge chunks of it as a former Pharisee. This is a man who's had experiences with God in the third heavens that he can't even talk about. And I'm aware of the fact that even right now God's doing supernatural things with a lot of people. Both, both in Chicago and around the world. And people are having open eye visions and encounters with God. A lot of them can talk about them. That's only telling me one thing. What he had was greater. What God gave him in that moment, God, some things he did talk about. He says you will judge angels one day. Where did he get that from? Isaiah? God told him that. Right? He makes statements about God that you can't even find references for. Based on revelation. Right. Based on the revelation of the mystery of the gospel. But there's other things that he saw he couldn't even talk about. 
Right? This is a man who sees and walks with Jesus. If anybody's got a resume in every way, Paul's got a resume. But Paul's not going to lean on his resume. He's leaning on Jesus. But, but listen, do you know why Paul can see the work of God in his life? Do you know why he can experience joy and expressible and full of glory? Do you know why he can go into regions that have been bound by sin and principalities for ages and see breakthrough and liberation? Because Paul finds his life in verse 3. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. I depend on God. I'm leaning on Jesus. I don't have all the answers. I need Jesus to show up. I wake up early in the morning because I don't got all the answers. I need Jesus to show up. I need God to talk to me. If God doesn't talk to me, what does the psalmist say? Take not thy spirit from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I appreciate what Brother John Beasley shared when he came a couple months ago. He said God told him to do something and he didn't obey and he drove down the road and he felt the Spirit of God lift off him. He said it was the most horrifying experience he's ever had in his life. Multiplied times over. He said there's no possible way to describe what it feels like when the Spirit of God lifts off you. The psalmist understands that. The psalmist is a man who found himself in sin and failure. God forbid we lose the Holy Ghost. We've lost everything once we lose his presence. Paul understands, i got to live in dependency. God, I need you. He learned how to court the Holy Spirit. He learned how to wait on God. He tells the Corinthians, listen, when you, when you use the spiritual gifts, use them in love to build one another up. But listen, don't think you're something great. I pray in tongues more than all you guys. That was a fact. He knew for a fact I pray in tongues more than all you guys. Well, how do you know? Because he can say, when you, when you gather together, I'm with you in spirit. Right? Dependency on God. And this is what it produces. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. Verse 4. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. I am not a professional preacher, nor do I ever seek to be one. I am not a speaker. What in the world is a speaker? Please tell me what a positive speaker is. Somebody tell me what a motivational speaker is. Where, do, where in the world do you find that in the Bible? You show me that. Listen, I am, I am not and you are not a professional speaker or a professional anything. We are raw followers of the Son of God. And the love of God and the Spirit of God is the only thing that's going to sustain you. Not your, ability to, not your ability to spit back doctrine, right? Some of you guys who grew up in the church, I didn't grow up in the church. My wife did. She, she, she uh, put me on to the way it works, so to speak, right? Some of you guys who grew up in the church, man, you, you've gotten so familiar with God's presence. You've gotten so familiar with, with God talk, if I could use that word. You're so familiar with it. You could just be around it, and you, you it's, it's almost like when... Uh, it's like a, like if your house, for example, if you have a dog, I have a dog. My house smells like dog. I don't notice it, but everybody else does who doesn't have a dog, right? Like a smoker. A smoker never notices that they smell like smoke. They can just, they can just be walking around. You get around them if you're not sm- and you're like, man, bro, you stink. You know, we, you can be around God's presence so much that, you, you know, he, you're so familiar with the concept of God. You can just sit there and not be moved. You're just sitting there. Yeah, that's right. Jesus is saving people. Right. Yeah, that's right. Everything you just said. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's, that's what happens. Right. There it is. Yeah, that's it. Man, you can, you can grow up in church and become so familiar that it's almost like this is part of your genre. 
This is part of your culture. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, this is my culture. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. You know, God's with us. We're going to heaven when we die. What in the world is that? Tell me what in the world that is. Man, I need Jesus. I used to get high because I needed peace. I need Jesus. You understand? You understand what I'm saying? I need Jesus in my life. I can't just cut something else out and not replace it with something else. More importantly, someone else. I need Jesus in my life. I don't want to be a clean-cut preacher. Forget that. I'd rather, I'd rather work in a secular field for the rest of my life. I want to be on fire and filled with the Spirit of God. I need Jesus in my life. I need Him to speak. There are, listen, there are billions of people in the world right now. Do they matter to you? They will if you spend time with Jesus. Listen, they matter to God a whole lot. Do you know who, do you know, listen, do you know the things I share my most intimate details with? My wife and my closest friends. Not with people that are walking by on the side of the street corner, I promise you that. I'll never stop somebody on the side of the street and be like, you know what, man, I just really need to talk to you. There's been some things that I've been thinking about, man, I've really been, you know, just emotional things. I've seen my son so much of myself, and I think when I was seven, you know, he, he really loves sports, man. He really loves sports. I used to love sports. I mean, the guy would be like, this guy needs to get this guy off to the loony home. You know, he's looking for a badge or like some kind of a tag around my wrist. Do you know, I would, do you know why I wouldn't share my most intimate, deep, heartfelt feelings with a stranger? Because it's just not normal. That's why. You guys were waiting for like some kind of a scriptural answer. Like, why? Why wouldn't you? Because nobody does. It's weird. Right? Do you listen? Do you think God's any different? Do you think God's any different? Well, why don't I have a burden for souls? Because I'm not an evangelist. Really? Is that why? Is that why you don't have a burden for souls? Well, then why don't you have a burden for broken families in the church? In your church? Why don't you have a burden for that? Right? Does, does it take an evangelist to do that? Well, why don't you have a burden over the fact that you're living in sin? How about that? Do you, what, what do you need to be for that? An apostle, a prophet? What do you need to be for that one? Do you know why? Because God shares the most intimate details of his heart with his friends. Do you know how I know that? Because in the book of John, Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer, his disciples, not the crowds, for, any, for people who want to start quoting that one off, okay, from memory. He says to his, to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but friends. That means at one time he did call them servants. What does a servant engage in? Task accomplishment. That's what, he, that's, what, that's what he does. Give me a task. I'll fulfill it. Give me a paycheck. Right? I mean, you, you, you fulfill a task for something. Maybe not a paycheck. For something else. But it's still, you're working for something. Right? How about a friend? We just want to hang out. Right? A servant comes to a master to get a bid. You go do this. And then he, and he goes to do it and he comes back. Okay, I did it. What's next? Or do I get something in return? A friend, they just hang out. They're just friends. Are you unique? Oh, what happened? Oh, you don't have enough money for gas, man. Let me just help you. You're my friend. I, it's not an issue. I'm not looking for you to, well, I hope you recognize what I just did for him. I mean, and I hope he pays me back with interest. I mean, if you're a friend, you're not like that, right? You're friends. You're friends. You talk about stuff. Right, he says, and then you know how he qualifies it? He says, I no longer call you servants, but friends, because, it says, because servants, they don't know what their master's doing. He said, but with you guys, I talked to you guys face to face. He talked to Moses face to face. In Genesis, it says about Abraham, God and the angels on the earth in the physical form are about to come down to see what's happening in Sodom so they can get eyewitness experience themselves. I mean, listen, God who sees everything from his throne, wanted to make sure it was as bad as he heard. That's pretty bad. 
So he comes down, right, in physical form with two angels. He comes to Abraham, and then they're having a discussion. Listen, does God have, God doesn't have discussions, he's God. Really, he's having a discussion with angels. He's talking to angels, and he's saying, man, what do you guys think? Do you think it's right that we come down and do this without telling Abraham first? Chapter 18 of Genesis. You think it's right that we do this? We should tell him first. Man. I mean, to have a testimony like that in Scripture, that God is coming down, and before he does the deed, he says, you know what? I think we should get Abraham in on this first before we do this. What do you think? Does that make God less? Does that make God less sovereign? Or does, or does it reveal his heart? What is it? Well, don't preach that. That makes God look weak. No, that makes God look loving. That's what it makes God look like. It makes God look real because he's real. Not some kind of a weird ethereal being, a computer in the sky. He's, you were created with emotions in the image of God, right? He's not controlled by his, but he still has him, right? So nonetheless, he says, man, we got to tell Abraham first. Let's tell him. Let's talk to him. And then Abraham is even talking with, bartering with him, so to speak, interceding on behalf of. Well, God, what if he found 20? What if he found 10? He said, okay, you know what? I won't even do it. God was going to do it. And then he said, okay, well, if I find that many, I won't. Finally, he had to do it because there wasn't enough. But nonetheless, you find the same thing with Moses. God's about to destroy a nation. And Moses says, God, listen, these are your people. They're friends. Paul is a friend of God. Paul depends on God. Paul understands dependency. God has, listen, God has things on his heart. How many things does God, has on, uh, God have on his heart? I don't know, but I'm sure it's quite a bit. I'm sure it's quite a few things on his heart. What is he saying? What is he thinking? No, nobody cares. Everybody wants their bills paid. That's what they want. I want my bills paid, my marriage to be better, and then, you know, my church to kind of be on fire, and, you know, that's what I want. That's what most people want. No, you know, who goes into prayer to just listen? God, what do you want to say? What's on your heart right now? What are you thinking about right now? You know, what's, what's happening right now in your heart? Whether about my life, whether about this city. Now, I want to be your friend. I want to fellowship with you. I want to depend. I want to lean. We don't graduate from dependency. And this is what he says in verse 4. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. He says, listen, if I cannot introduce you to Jesus Christ in a real way, then my preaching is hollow and empty. Right? We went to seven nations this summer. We visited a lot of different churches, a lot of different people. The same need they have, the same need we have in the West. Right? We need revival. We need God to pour out his spirit. We saw God move. We were, we were grateful for the way God moved, healed bodies. We saw some saved souls stirring up the church. But listen, man, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with that. And we recognize better strategies isn't going to change anything. We need more God's spirit. We, listen, we need to be able to pull out the cripple out of the wheelchair at will in Jesus' name. Well, that's not scriptural. What do you mean at will? God does it. Right. God does it at will every time. Every single person. That's right. That's what we believe. That's, maybe that's not what you believe. That's what I believe. And that's what I'm pursuing in Jesus' name. You know why? Because God loves people. And because when he paid that penalty on the cross, there was not, there was not one drop of blood left. Listen, there's nothing that he can come back and do better than what he did already. 
There's nothing he can do to come back and just give it that extra umph, Lord. I mean, maybe if he would have had one more lash on his leg, maybe then. Listen, everything you need for life and godliness, everything you need to walk into the holy of holies, everything you need to live victorious above sin, to walk in the raw power of God, signs and wonders, to have encounters with God in the supernatural realm, to reveal Jesus to your world, and to walk in peace and joy in the midst of rejection and persecution, has been made available to you already. Right? It's in the heavens right now. Heaven is open over God's church. Right? It's open over you right now. Paul, listen, Paul made it plain right over here and it, and it pertains to us. He says, my message and my preaching, I was not trying to, I was not trying to impress anyone. I'm not trying to impress anyone. You know why? Because this, verse five, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Listen, I've, I've met quite a few people now. Who have gotten born again, some of which have backslidden, some of which have backslidden and come back, some of, which, some of which have stuck. There's something about, there's something about the depth of a man's encounter that'll keep him. I don't know why it works like that, but it works like that. There's something about the depth of your encounter with God that'll keep you and propel you into your future. And now whether you feel like you have one or don't have one, this, the entirety of scriptures is an invitation to one. So don't feel like, well, I didn't have one. Oh, my goodness. That means my future is not going to be that great in God. Listen, read the Bible. Come to me, all who are thirsty. The entire thing is an invitation to an encounter with God on a daily basis, meeting Jesus, loving Jesus. But listen, when, you, you guys ever see these, you know, uh, evangelist types? Going out, Fabian was in Tampa one time, and a church had him bring a team to, uh, to do, like, you know, like from fire school to do evangelism and kind of revival meeting types, type of stuff. And there was another minister, I'm not going to name him, who was in town, and he brought his whole team with him. And he had, like, something insane, like three, 400 people with him. And they were uh, hitting the streets all weekend for, like, three days, and then they were having, like, one big revival meeting, whatever, like on Sunday. And the testimony, the testimony was this. The guy gets up and he says, the, the, if I named him, you guys would know him, and his 500 whatever, you know, people with him. He says, this weekend, we led over 10,000 people to the streets. I'm sorry, to Jesus on the streets of Tampa. 10,000 people are now in the kingdom. Where are they? Man, 10,000 people in a weekend? That'd be like, like straight, full-blown revival. 10,000 people got born again over the last... Two and a half days? That's amazing. Where are they? You know, show me one. You know, where are they? We don't know. You don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? Do you know why you don't know? Because you told them to say the magic words. And now they're born again. Right? Just say these magic words. And then you'll be born again. You know, where are they at? So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. You want to see a man stick? Have him meet God. Listen, have a, you, want, you want to see a woman of God stick? Have her meet God. I promise you, you, a lot of things are going to just fall off by virtue of an encounter with God. Progressively, you need to renew your mind. But I promise you, Isaiah's life in chapter 6 of his book 
completely changed the direction of his life. Completely. Right? Paul says, in demonstration of the spirit and of power, I thank God, I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for what he's doing in our midst, what he did this summer. Some places we went were a little bit more discouraging than others because you see the state of the church and you're hit in the face with reality of it's the same way everywhere. The same conversations I had with, you know, whatever, Mike Smith, the made-up guy who just got born again and trying to counsel him, is the same conversation I'm having with this guy in Kosovo. The same thing. He speaks a different language, he eats different food, but he's bound by fear. Or whatever else the case is. You know what I mean? The same conversation I'm having with this guy in the Netherlands. The same thing I'm talking to him about here. You can't get past prayer. You guys need to pray. You got to seek Jesus. You got to preach the gospel. You got to live in faith. The same thing I'm telling whatever. You know, John is the same thing you got to tell them. People are the same. The situation is the same. Right? Across the world. Everywhere right now. It's the same. In some places, persecution is more rich, and some materialism is more rich. Materialism is a more subtle devil, right? That's what it is. It's a more, it's a more subtle devil because it lulls you to sleep instead of slapping you in the face, right? Or one of them is just constantly jabbing you, pa, pa, pa. You're like, ah, I reminded you're a Christian. The other one's just like, go to sleep, and you're like, <laughs> you know, you're warm milk. You're like, mm. You know, it's even worse. You don't even see it coming. You feel you feel like, you know, yes, yes. <laughs> Tell me. Like a cat or something. <laughs> but listen, we need the raw power of God. I thank God for what he's doing and what he's going to do. We're about to, you know, kick off another 21-day fast. Listen, I'm excited. I'm excited. I say, there's preachers who make it seem like Jesus is coming back. It's going to be so horrible in the end. He's coming back. It's going to be horrible. Almost nobody's going to believe in him. It's going to be, oh, my goodness. Listen. I believe that persecution will increase, lawlessness is the increase, but the true church of Jesus Christ is going to shine more than ever before, ever before. That's what I believe. Whether or not you believe that, I don't care. That's what I believe. I believe the true church of Jesus Christ is going to manifest signs and wonders, listen, unlike the apostles did. Whether you choose to believe that or not, I really don't care. I'm going after it. I believe that the, the last day church of Jesus Christ is going to demonstrate signs and wonders unlike greater than the original 12. Jesus says you do. Said he, see, this is what he said. You do the same works I did and even greater works. I believe we're going to see a mass harvest come in of millions, a billion come in. Nobody's ever seen that before. I believe the church is going to see so much of God's spirit being poured out in the last day. Do you think that God has not saved the best wine till last? You think, do you think that what happened, if we can only return to the Acts of the Apostles? Yes, the truth of the matter is we need to return to the Acts of the Apostles and go past the Acts of the Apostles. Right? Because Jesus is coming back for a bride. The church at her inception in infant form was the Acts of the Apostles. And God is not going to marry a two-year-old. Right? He's coming back for a grown woman, developed, filled with glory, adorned with beauty and power. I believe the last, the days that we're living in, man, these are the greatest days to live in. In spite of the materialism and persecution, we should go after it all the more so because God's got for us more than he even had for them. The increase of his government, there should be no end. God's always on the go. He's always on the increase. He's not sitting there trying to figure out like, okay, 
Like, like he's like a stand-up like, uh, comedian or something. Like, okay, I've used all these jokes. I've got to come up with some new ones. What am I going to do? I've, okay, I've, I've already done these miracles. Man, I, I gave Moses too much. I gave him too much. Like, I put out my best stuff for Moses. And then Jesus and the disciples. But then, man, now it's like, what am I going to do? i got the same old stuff. You know, they're going to start getting bored. Are you serious? Listen, God's going to, man, he's going to blow people's minds. Right now, these guys in China, they're walking through walls getting out of prison. Testimonies right now. Getting locked up and walking through walls. Listen, man, God's about to do amazing things. But you know who he's going to share that stuff with? Not the passerby on the street corner. Not the guy who comes and waves his hand for two hours on a Sunday morning. He's going, to, he's going to share his most intimate secrets and details. And he's going to empower the ones who have an ear that wants to hear. They want to hear him. They want to hear his voice. They won't, they won't sidestep the cross. They embrace the cross. They're not concerned with their reputation. They're not concerned with the fear of man. They're not concerned with what this world has to offer. They embrace the cross and the flame of heaven. And they take the gospel to their world. And they recognize this is the last hour. Like 1 John 2.18. Little children, this is the last hour. The dynamic of an evangelistic spirit is that they're always reminding the church, this is the last hour. Stop living your life like you got forever. Most Christians are practically Hindus who believe in reincarnation. If I can't do it this time around, I'll just do it next time around. There ain't no next time around. It's this time around. That's it. We got right now, right? We need to be reminded. Listen, be happy it's the last hour. You're about to see Jesus. He's around the corner. It's like, it's the last hour. It's so condemning. It's the last hour. Don't you want to go to heaven? Are you serious? It's the last hour. I mean, man. That's good news that he's coming back. It's not bad news. It's the best news. The gospel's good news. We got to take the power of God to the nations. We got to preach the cross. Don't not pre- I don't care. I don't care what is on YouTube and how many new ministries spring up with how many revelations they might have. I'm going to preach the cross of Jesus Christ as the only answer to please God and to save man. I'm sticking with that right there. God backs the preaching of the cross because the cross reveals him like nothing else. God's heart is bursting with anticipation and love and compassion and power. And God is on the horizon. And he is about to do something in our lives and in this church and in this city and in the nations unlike has ever been done on the face of the earth. And I believe that with all my heart. And I refuse to sit on the sidelines and, wait and watch it happen. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines cheering, watching it happen. I'm, I got my hand in the air. Please pick me. Put me in. What do I got to do to get in? Get me in this game. I don't care how many stats I get. I just want to be out there with everybody else running. What? And I, I don't care. I just want to be in it. I want to be in it. I want to do it. Right? Let's stand up in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's a tri- Listen. The gospel is the triumph of the heart of God. Revealed to man. It's the triumph of the heart of God revealed to man. So listen, if, if, if anybody here is stirred in their hearts right now to go on with Jesus, to get whatever needs to be gotten out of the way, to go on with Jesus, and, and, and something inside of your spirit bears witness with the spirit of the message of this word. 
Let's just call upon God for a little while. You want to come up to the front and we could pray? Maybe there's something in your life that you know is wrong. It could be habitual. You got to kill that thing. You, you Listen, you will not move forward with God if you don't kill that thing. Maybe you just, man, I just want more of Jesus in my life. God, you know I need more of you in my life. I need to see your power demonstrated. I need to see, I, I, I need to see the sick healed. I'm surrounded by sick and diseased people. God, I know you have the answer for them. Whatever it is, listen, it's a call to revival. It's a call to repentance. It's a call to, to obedience to the gospel. It's a call to experiencing Jesus. Maybe you need to do business with God and say, you know what, Lord, I've been giving you an hour a day. I need to up that. I need to up my prayer life. My prayer life has got to increase and grow. Maybe, maybe you don't even know what you need, but you know you need more of God in your life. Come, let, well, let's just seek Jesus right now in Jesus' name. Call upon the name of the Lord. There is no right words to pray. Put words to your heart and release them out of your mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah.